Chapter 3 Jack made his way toward the ward into Serena Green's room. He found her in the same condition as two days before. Comatose, but seemingly resting with no signs of pain or distress registering on her EEG, at least at the moment. Their relationship was complicated, to say the least. As an undercover agent for AG assigned to Magnus Johnson and the Canadian Weed Farm, her credentials as a real Department of Agriculture employee made sense. Serena had successfully pretended to be co-opted by Magnus and supposedly blackmailed into working for him, getting a sense of his money laundering operation and the criminal group he was working for. She gathered small bits and pieces of information at first, but Magnus, being a typical misogynistic douche, couldn't help but brag to a young, attractive woman. In addition to his unwanted sexual advances, he opened up a bit. Magnus thought Serena was a bent, money-motivated government worker who was disgruntled. He also thought she might come in handy as he attempted to pull off a coup circumventing Draper to take the helm of the organization. But Magnus wasn't as smart as he thought. The reason why he was now dead and why Serena was in an unknown location recovering from a bullet wound to the chest. Jack sat down beside her and gently placed wireless earbuds into her ears and started a soundtrack of soothing classical music. Looking at the EEG, he saw the music had a calming effect and that the various spikes on the screen, most likely traumatic memories playing in her head, calmed down a bit. He couldn't help but tingle when he saw her, though she was an actor playing a part in an elaborate play when they first met. He was initially smitten by her. She was smart, funny, and drop-dead gorgeous, with black hair that contrasted with her light complexion and a pair of searing blue eyes. That initial attraction was quickly erased when he found she was working for the organization. Though he realized later that she was really one of the good guys, it was still unsettling to him, and he was trying to understand if what he thought was real attraction initially was just Serena's first-rate acting skills. The fact that she was in a coma and he couldn't actually determine if there was a genuine connection, well, that bothered him. He shook his head involuntarily in an attempt to shake the thought from his mind. Jack rubbed her hands and looked at the earbuds. Truth be told, he had no clue what was going on in her head and was at odds with himself for even pumping music into her skull anyway. When he was in a coma, he woke up not remembering anything other than the lead-up to the lightning strike that almost claimed the life of his brother Luke, his dog Bosco, and him. There was a dramatic difference, however. Jack and Luke were subjected to a neural acceleration protocol while they were comatose, courtesy of their now-employee Quan, who had been Jack and Luke's middle school teaching assistant. Quan was on the spectrum and at the time he was broke and working on his Ph.D. The Glasser brothers were the perfect guinea pigs to determine whether or not comatose patients could learn. To that end, Quan had taken a janitorial role at their hospital 
and snuck in every night to blast an intermingled stream of information into their eyes via goggles and ears via headphones. Quan surmised that a comatose brain could possibly ingest more information more quickly, since the default mode network or ego wasn't running the show. On some level, he was right. It had worked, and Jack and Luke woke up with more knowledge than they knew what to do with. With more knowledge than anyone knew what to do with. They graduated high school without having to actually go because their teachers in school had nothing to teach them, and they banked honorary college degrees as well, then formed Glasser Consulting at a young age. After Quan accidentally spilled the beans and told them about his experiment, they were pissed. Missing out on high school and the college experience didn't sit well with them. Neither did Quan's unsanctioned experiment. They threatened to sue the shit out of him to keep his mouth shut, and ultimately used him as a frontman, an indentured servant of sorts, to get their consulting business off the ground. It worked, and they secured millions in contracts using their immense library of knowledge and mental computing power to solve problems and find solutions that no one else could. Armed with their newfound gifts, Jack used his unique data set and processing power to make enormous sums in the stock market. And Luke used his emotional analytics and mental horsepower to make almost equal sums gambling. They were wealthy, firmly in the $100 million club. Money and smarts aside, there was a big unknown with Quan's experiment. Other studies had been done with coma patients with dramatically different results. Because of that, Jack and Luke were more convinced, well, now more than ever, that the facilitating event that allowed the information to stick was the lightning strike, not just Quan's informational assault. The brothers ultimately surmised that the lightning strike broke down neural barriers, possibly endowing them with more neuroplasticity. No one really knew, but considering Jack and Luke were as high up on the smart food chain as two humans could be, they were sticking to their theory. Jack lingered at Serena's side for 30 minutes, then took the earbuds out and walked back to the main area after hearing Quan's voice. You touched my stuff, Quan said nervously, staring at his feet, then at Horny. The guy named Horny wasn't named for his libido. The moniker came about because of his horn-rimmed glasses and the fact that Jack's brother Luke could never remember his name. Luke originally called him horn-rimmed, but ultimately shortened it to horny, and that ended up sticking. Having a nickname attached to his sexuality seemed to annoy horny enough that Luke enjoyed tormenting the guy, something that Luke did often, through impish grins. Horny hadn't actually been laid in recent memory, and it seemed to describe his innermost thoughts, though he still didn't like the name. I did not, horny shot back. I didn't touch a thing. Quan looked up to see Jack walk in and by the look on his face was relieved to have someone intervene on his behalf. He quickly pulled Jack into the drama. My pen was over here, he said, pointing to the upper right quadrant of his desk. But I found it here, he said, pointing to a spot approximately an inch below. Jack shook his head. 
Quan, seriously? Someone could have bumped into the side of the desk. I think that's more likely than Horny purposely fucking with you. Quan started to speak, then stopped, pondering the notion. He finally came around. Okay, I, that's a possibility, I guess, but I, I still can't rule him out effing with me, he said, pointing to Horny, unable to find the wherewithal to curse, having been raised by the equivalent of urban missionaries. Horny shook his head in exasperation, then turned to Jack. How is she? he asked, referring to Serena. Jack gave him the same answer he'd given to Rhodes and twisted his neck in an effort to crack it after finishing his knuckles. He turned to the boards filled with paper. So, any progress? Anything? he asked Quan and Horny. We still haven't come up with anything, Horny said, pointing to the Nordic rune-like symbols interspersed within the documents, nearly all of them. If it's a code, I can't crack it, he said. Jack nodded. He hadn't been able to make any sense of it either, even though he was the one who originally realized that they were actually symbols, not just creative ways to redact certain elements of the document. Even knowing ancient symbology, he was at a loss and couldn't find a connection or a key to unlock the secrets of the mystery marks. Yeah, Jack finally said. Damn strange. Jack found the door that led to the roof and walked out into the sun again. He picked up his gravity bong that he had left under the eaves of the door overhang and blew out the ash and weed he had smoked previously. It was 10 a.m., but with Jack, time of day never really mattered when it came to his cannabis consumption. He'd actually cut down quite a bit since he'd stopped accelerating over the past few months. But when he was at a dead end and had no real path forward, his anxiety would kick in and weed was the only thing that helped. He packed the bowl with Girl Scout cookie, his favorite strain of late, and pulled out his lighter, lighting the contents while simultaneously pulling the inner glass container from the water in which it rested, inhaling the smoke into his lungs. Though he smoked enough weed to stock a dispensary, he was used to it and had built up an impressive tolerance over the years. The epic bong rip he had taken would have induced couch lock in a normal user, but simply took the edge off of him. Quan stepped outside to join him, not in the smoking part, but to give him a patented look of disapproval to which Jack responded, fuck you, through a cough. Have you spoken with Eamon? Jack asked, after his coughing fit subsided. No, he's still in Atlanta helping his dad, Quan replied. Eamon was Jack and Luke's other employee. Smart as they came, but without the formal credentials that one would suspect. Eamon referred to him as Ag's token black dude, or a grain of pepper in a sea of salt. He called himself a reformed gang member, but truth be told, though he had been in a gang during his youth, He'd used his computer skills to research targets and hack alarms, making sure that no civilians got hurt during any of his fellow members' exploits. His father was a prominent preacher in Atlanta, and he quashed Eamon's gang affiliation quickly when he realized what his son was involved in. He also knew that most of the kids who Eamon ran with weren't bad kids, just kids that the system overlooked 
and who were doing their best to make ends meet. Heyman was quickly set on the straight and narrow, though, eventually getting his B.S. in computer science at a local community college. Jack smiled when he thought of Heyman. They had more than an employee or an employer relationship. Heyman was a true friend. It was Heyman that had eventually found the key to unlocking the code that identified what Luke had been infected with and what ultimately saved his life. The bond between Eamon and the Glass brothers was forever set in stone. What's he doing there? Jack asked, not realizing that Eamon had left. Like I said, helping his father, Quan replied. His mom's not feeling well and his dad needed some help around the house. We're a bit stuck, so he decided to take a week. He told Rhodes, I thought you knew. Jack shook his head. No, but I get it. We are a bit stuck, and I'm trying to get Rhodes off my ass. He's been out of it ever since Serena got shot, and he lost his most effective intelligence source. Quan just stared off and wrinkled his face, something he was prone to do. Nervous tick. I can't believe we haven't been able to find that guy Draper, Quan said, coming out of his thoughts. He was referring to the man that Jack had drawn a picture of based on the description provided by their kidnapped organization member, Glenn Halvers, the ex-CEO of Agrifuse, and recently pretended prisoner, locked up in the building for his own protection. Like most of the members of the ag team, Draper, who Ag assumed was the leader of the organization, was ex-military himself and officially listed as dead, too. See a freaking dead people, Jack thought to himself. Are you still running image searches? Jack asked. Yeah, but other than finding him in the military database, we haven't been able to find anything. The man is off the grid, Quan said. Or maybe he had plastic surgery or left the country, Jack interrupted. Quan scratched his head. Maybe, he said, then quickly pivoted. Have you talked to Luke? Quan asked. Jack shook his head. His brother Luke was in the Bahamas recovering from his own near-death experience. Jack knew he was with Chas, named Chastity or Nastity, depending on the day another ag operative with whom Luke was currently smitten with. No, I haven't spoken with Luke this week. I figured I'd give him a break until we really need him and he's completely recovered, Jack said. He's probably just partying and gambling, Quan said disapprovingly, though Jack thought he was most likely correct. Maybe, Jack said, as he realized he probably needed to check in with his brother. <laughs>